0: Today is the 28th of October, 2014, and this is episode 157. This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is new, highly experimental, and we're not experts, just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer to peer future. My name is Adam B. Levine. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin. Today, we've got a bit of a roundtable. I'm here with Stephanie Murphy and Andreas Antonopoulos. Hello. Hi. Along with guest host Pamela Morgan of Empowered Law. Hi, Pamela. Hello. The topic of today's discussion is BitNation, currently selling a crypto equity token called XBN as they raise money to create decentralized blockchain-powered societies. We're joined by founder and CEO Suzanne Templehoff. Thanks for being here,
1: Suzanne. Thank you, Adam. It's great to be on the show. and Thanks so much for having me on.
0: So, Suzanne... Before we get into kind of the nitty gritty on this, can you explain to us from a high level what the intention is with BitNation and specifically what problem you're trying to solve and why this can't be done with just Bitcoin?
1: Let me first clarify that XPNX is not an altcoin and that's just a corporate equity, right? So I'm not trying to recreate another altcoin. We're not going to use it as a token inside the system and it's nothing like that. The Problem BitNation is trying to solve is essentially the voluntary choice of governance regardless of where you're born or what passport you hold or whatever, you should be able to have access to all this uh, do-it-yourself governance tools. So that can be, for instance, getting married uh, on the blockchain, or it can be dealing your house on the blockchain. It can be uh, starting a company on the blockchain. And uh, I mean, we also cover stuff like security and diplomacy and essentially everything that a normal government does. So some people, you know, say that, oh, it's better to not have governments at all. But we come from the belief that essentially people do want governance and people also want ease of governance, meaning that there is one to go to provider who uh, assembles all those different things. So let's say your house is on fire. You don't want to sort of sit and sit around and think like what fire company you should call, right? You just want to have one number to call and and people to solve it instantly. Yeah, so the assembly of all these different services is part of the service offering. so essentially the people we're targeting the most are people who live uh, in developing countries who often don't have access to these tools because the government is too dysfunctional or corrupt or slow or expensive and. Um, Even if the government did provide some of these tools, it just wouldn't be worth it. There is a huge demand for that sort of thing out there.
0: I'd like to get the kind of uh, drama out in the open because there is some surrounding this project. Recently, the crowdfunding effort launched. And on that same day, uh, three of what were self-described as the most senior participants, besides you, at the project BitNation, basically all wrote letters saying that they could no longer be a part of it. You know, I noticed that these senior people, one of them was an advisor, one of them was a chief communications officer, and one of them was a communications partner. So it's interesting that those are kind of the the senior, you know, that's that's what's senior there. But I I just wonder, can you um, articulate and explain, at least from your perspective, um, what exactly happened here? What what the issue was and why it happened at such a crucial time?
1: The article that came out in Cointelegraph was almost uh, misleading because it said the senior core dev team resigned. I mean, none of them were actually dev. None of them had worked for the company for longer than a month. Maybe one had worked for maybe a little bit more than a month, but I, I don't think so. So they were all very new to the company uh, and... Yeah, not particularly keen. So so, so that's misleading to start with. What happened? I mean, I don't want to... I know they are going around doing slander in public and I don't want to get into that sort of fight. I'm not going to They
0: had a real complaint specifically. And I I mean, I'm, I'm happy to articulate it if you don't want to. It was that the project wasn't necessarily going to have a legal framework and you weren't necessarily going to incorporate. And this is specifically interesting to me because Suzanne, you remember the first time you and I talked, you were asking if I you know, was interested in consulting on the project. And I, one of the first things I asked you was if you were going to go through the, the kind of legal system in attempting to do what you were trying to do. And you told me very, very upfront, no, you weren't that you, you know, you were planning on avoiding that because it had a lot of problems associated with. It. And so like that was something that actually made it slightly more interesting for me to work with you creatively because otherwise I, you know, it was clear to me that you were going to be running into regulatory barriers left and right and that this would be a thing that would be much less about the token and about what it is that you're doing with, you know, the Bitnation project and much more about how your Bitnation project is complying with the existing systems. So I mean like am I am I incorrect in identifying that that was the point of stress here?
1: Yeah, I mean that was uh, basically the major complaint. Yeah, and which I, I mean I agree with you. I find that slightly strange because I have said that the entire time, as you as you just pointed out. And that, that and it's also like one of the services we are selling. Basically we're saying that you can do all the things the government do, but you know, on a voluntary basis without the government. I mean, one of the things we are selling is indeed corporate incorporation on the blockchain. And these people knew about that from the start, don't? Uh, so I just think it's very weird, don't? like that they came out the day of the crowd say, no. But I mean, if if you don't want to work in a company that is selling governance to own services, I don't see why you would expect us to be incorporated, because that would be against all our principles, right?
2: Let me ask a follow up question to that, Suzanne you are presenting Bit nations as an alternative to government, and you propose that you will be offering governance services for individuals to participate in voluntarily. So on the one hand, I can understand your argument that you will not want to incorporate with a state in order to provide these services. However, at the same time, your crowd sale is going on with a single-key address, not a multi-sig address, which means that there is no separation of duties in the control of the funds internally within your company. and At the same time, there is no independent counsel and there is no independent legal support and there is no independent financial officer in the company. So, If you are providing governance services to others, uh, can you explain why uh, your crowd sale is being conducted? without any governance internally, which is also a complaint. Uh, you, you're saying you don't incorporate because you want to do governance independently of the state, but you're mm-hmm. not doing governance in your own crowd sale.
1: Uh, well, essentially, I mean, we're a three-month-old startup. Hmm. Uh, it takes time to get all of those things together. When it comes to um, the multi-sig address, I tried to clarify that yesterday on uh, crypto uh, while networking, Essentially it's a two stage process and we're done the first step of the process. The second step is being set up right now, but it takes time to set up everything. So it will very soon be transferred to our multiple SIG address. I'm happy to sort of send you the whole outline for for the setup if you wish.
2: You said the crowd sale is going on for three months, but at the same time you're saying that you didn't have enough time to set up a multi-sig address. Something you said yesterday on the Wealth Crypto Network was that there wasn't enough time to set up a multi-sig address. Now, this is the most basic of corporate governance uh, structures that exist in blockchain technologies today. So how is it that a company that is a specialist in blockchain-based governance can't set up the most basic form of governance? before the crowd sale and how come a crowd sale that is going to last three months is so urgent that you can't set up the necessary governance first?
1: Well, essentially, I mean, we are doing this on a shoestring budget. There's a lot of cost associated with it to keep on doing the development. That's why we set up the crowd sale around different benchmarks, right? And so even if the crowd sale goes on for three months, it means we can still release money when we meet those development benchmarks. You know, we should have started with the whole uh, cold wallet storage setup and everything a little bit earlier. We are absolutely right. And we have done everything we could in, in that amount of time. So essentially, I mean, if it wasn't for like all the drama of essentially them pulling out the sales model in the in it, and we had to rebuild all of that and which took uh, about 48 hours to get that back up, that wouldn't have been a problem. So it was a lot of unexpected circumstances and that's really regrettable, you know, but those things happen It's a startup and that's startup life, you know, it's, it's not going to be perfect at the outset. It will take time to make it good.
2: Well, right now, um, only one person has control of the crowd sale funds through a single key. Can you tell us who that person is?
1: Well, right now that's me. I have a separate cold storage wallet, but we also have uh, a watch only wallet and we're setting setting up the second steps right now. So that will change very soon.
2: Can you describe what you're doing in terms of the second steps? Yesterday you talked about some cold storage and offline signing devices.
1: Yeah, so essentially we are setting up uh, laptops that are entirely clean that have never been connected to internet. So the laptops will be sent to um, the other key holders and then set it up from there. So there will be three persons holding the keys and two persons are needed for every every expense. That's about it, yeah. I can forward you the entire proposal if you like, Andreas.
2: Yesterday you said that this was uh, being coordinated by Michael Perklin who set up the uh, corresponding cold storage scheme for Ethereum. And you also said that uh, these devices are being shipped now, and there are some delays due to international shipping. Michael Perklin released a statement this morning saying that, and I quote, as a security company, Bitcoin Sultans have non-disclosure agreements with all our clients that prevent us from discussing the work we do for them without their written permission. While Bitcoin Sultans was in contact with BitNation staff regarding retaining our services, our proposals were not accepted by way of signed contract. As a result, Bitcoin Sultans has not created or shipped any product to BitNation. We wish them luck and success with a very ambitious project. Now, this directly contradicts the statements you made yesterday that you had used the advice of Bitcoin Sultans and specifically Michael Perklin, who designed the Ethereum solution, and that these devices were already being shipped to the key holders and key signers. Can you address these uh, statements?
1: Absolutely. So let me clarify one thing at a time. Uh, In terms of using uh, Michael Perkling's services, hmm, we have been working for several weeks on setting up everything. So yeah, the contract was not signed because we made several amendments to it, etc. That was just signing the, the actual contract was just a technicality, you know. But in terms of the computers being shipped, I think there was a miscommunication yesterday. What I was trying to say, I was trying to outline the next steps and to manage expectations that it will take some time before the multiple sig wallets appear because we need to ship the computers. We need, you know, it's, it's a lot of work to install everything, et cetera. So I was saying that in an attempt to manage expectations, I wasn't referring to the shipping time saying that that was what was causing delays. If that was a misunderstanding, you know, I take that on me. I express myself badly that may be the case and I tried to clear that up with Michael Perklin and yeah I mean I've been trying to be as accurate as I possibly can regarding the
2: Well Michael so- Perklin felt the need to issue a statement specifically disavowing participation in this part of the project after uh, hearing his name mentioned several times yesterday on this uh, recording which is in Public people can see it on YouTube and draw their own conclusions. So To summarize, we've got a crowd sale that's going to take three months, but had to be done so urgently that no governance system could be put in place, which puts the funds directly in control of one and only one person yourself. I mean, do, the, shouldn't this be a burn for people Uh, I frankly find this very disturbing that a company that is attempting to set up private governance has no internal process for governance. And this is directly supporting the complaints made by the people who departed, who said that exactly this structure and lack of internal structure and governance was the reason they did not trust the company.
1: Well, again, I mean, it's a startup. It takes time to... Build up a team of you know, trusted people, which is very clear with the people who departed that they were not trustable, you know. That just takes time. I mean I think every single startup goes through that same phase. And you just sort of water out people who are more interested in their own publicity or whatever than in the overall goal of the company. So that's just gonna take time and that's something we have to live with in terms of the multiple SIG wallet. I understand that's a concern and that's why we are addressing the concern and we're doing everything we can to get everything set up as quickly as possible.
2: Who in the company is responsible for governance at the moment, either operationally or technically? Do you have any governance technology or governance operations experts within the company at the moment?
1: So can you please clarify what you mean by governance? I mean, the
2: process of setting up internal controls within a company and also the technical tools to set up things like multi-signature, smart contracts, um, and the capabilities that you uh, talk about offering as bit nations, which you weren't able to implement for the first round of the crowd sale. Do you have any experts, technical experts, or do you have any operational experts within the company today who know how to do governance?
1: It depends what, you, again, what you mean by governance. If you talk specifically about the smart contracts and that sort of things. And in just process-
3: accountability, right, Andreas? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, I'll be very, very
2: clear. There are a number of technologies being mentioned in the BitNation's white paper, including uh, smart contracts, uh, smart property, using the blockchain as a registry, And permanent record, as well as frequently multi signature technology. Of all of those technologies, the most practicable and most accessible to everyone today, that's been existing for more than a year, is multi signature. Uh, We have here as our guest Pamela Morgan, who sets up multi signature governance programs for companies. This is something that already exists and people are implementing. Do you have anyone who can do multi sig at your governance company?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of advices. You do that, and you have done that multiple times. I mean, because... I'm sorry, did
4: you just say that you have set up multi-signature addresses a number of
1: times? No, no, I have never set up any multi-signature address before. But we have plenty of advisors who have done just that. So until like, well, a couple of hours ago, uh, Michael Prankling was the one handling all of that. Now the status isn't clear because of the miscommunication yesterday. I don't know if he's still on team or not. Um, but uh, I hope he still is and that we can continue our work with that otherwise I will have to work with others so the other key holder is someone who's very well respected in the community I don't want to say his name because I don't want to make him a target but he will have to take over the role of setting everything up and moving it forward instead and he was anyway supposed to be one of the key holders, and you already have cold storage set up and multi sig set up with publicly recognized addresses. So it's not a problem. I mean, it's, it's another road bump, but it's something we're handling. So, Suzanne, why not
2: wait and do the crowd sale later when you handle these things?
1: Well, mainly because we told everybody we were doing it at the stage, right? We have been communicated to all the medias and everything. And people are waiting for it and expecting it.
4: But wouldn't it be better to delay so that you could hold the funds safely and securely than to have a a single signer wallet where people are depositing funds that are accessible only by you?
1: Well, I mean the funds are secure. They are on a hardware that never been connected to internet in armory wallets. So this is not concerning security in that sort of sense, in the sense of hacking, right? Um, So yeah, it's concerning. Distribution. I mean, again, this is a matter of a couple of days to to be fully finalized. Uh,
4: a multi-signature wallet can typically or an address can typically be set up within an hour. All you need are the public keys, and each person can set them up individually using their own public keys so that they don't have to reveal their private keys. So I'm a little concerned or confused as to why it's taking Bitnation so long to do that. When anyone else can do it in a matter of really an hour.
1: Well, because essentially uh, it was a really ambitious plan to buy hardware, clean hardware, new laptops, and ship them around, etc., which would take more time. So we did it in in two steps. But if you're suggesting that we can have a temporary multi-sig that can be set up within hours. I don't know in terms of security, how, how that would work or if that would be more or less secure. I would need to speak with um, the other key holder about that, but I would be happy to explore that option with you.
0: The multi-sig issue, like a lot of this other stuff, really has more to do with the fact that this project is aspirational. And, you know, it's, you've, you've identified all of these technologies that can solve all of these problems And it sounds like the reason why you're fundraising is because you want the funds to be able to put together the team, to pay them to then make all of these connections and build all of the essentially connecting platforms to make them more useful than they are by themselves. Am I on the right track? Right.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, it's not only technology.
0: I'm very curious, you know, given the opportunity to do this again, what would you do differently?
1: In terms of, Uh, Well now I know sort of more how much time all the different steps take and I would have prioritized steps that take longer time which I thought wouldn't take as much time. For instance the whole cold wallet thing all the, the writing and stuff. So yeah I would have put that more in priority in the beginning and delayed other tasks until later. That's a learning experience right. In terms of hiring people it's It's quite challenging because with this type of aspirational project uh, that is very open and community-focused, you want to let everybody in, essentially. So due diligence on people is somewhat counterintuitive, um, but they should definitely have done much more due diligence on some people before letting them into more of the sort of management level. You just never know who, who you hire really, so... So that's also something you learn along the road.
3: That was actually one of the other complaints that the developers who left BitNation had. It was that the system was really not secure. There were volunteers being brought on that weren't paid, but they were just kind of, you know, allowed to go into the project. And they were really concerned that someone might have malicious intent and potentially have access to a lot of people's personal data once people started to, you know, trust BitNation or whatever. What mechanisms do you have now in place to vet people? Because governments historically attract people who are corrupt, you know, power corrupts. (laughs) And what are you doing to address that?
1: Well, uh, one thing I learned, obviously, is to talk to former employees and former business partners of people. A lot of them who came to me afterwards, you know, and said, like, we're so sorry the same thing happened to us. First of all, there weren't devs. You know, I just want to clarify that once again. But anyways, I mean, there were people who been, you know, in the community for a long time. So I thought that because normally people don't want to come across as in the community. And so I thought that was a way to preserve it. Right. Uh, In terms of security, I mean, we have through Cloudflare, we have DDoS and all of that set up. Um, So, I mean, we we have done. Basically, most of the security measures I can think of for what is a counterparty crowd sale. Obviously, one actual platform takes off, then we'll have to revisit the security strategy and make it much more rigid. Yes, I mean, it's true that everybody worked on a voluntary basis. That is the nature of the project. What I told everybody when, when they joined was that if... Crowdside is successful, they will get a back pay of salary, you know, if that's the agreement. And if it's not successful, nobody gets paid. I mean, that's how you have to operate at this sort of like swarm type organization. In terms of governance, to get back to your question, Andreas, essentially my government strategy, if you want, is based on Holacracy and the book from Rick Folkwin, yes, Formwise. And he's also personally advising me very often on how to manage different things. There he outlines essentially how you build a grassroots organization based on volunteers. So that was a conscious strategy from at the outset.
3: I was actually watching BitNation, the website, to see when the white paper would be released because we actually had plans to interview you last week, Suzanne, and that didn't work out. But I was watching the uh, website to find the white paper because the crowd sale was set to start at that point the next day, and the white paper still was not available. The white paper wasn't up until very recently before the crowd sale started. The development plan and the business plan also were not released until very shortly before the crowd sale started. I mean, why not just push the crowd sale back? It's pretty clear, it seems like maybe you weren't ready, could have used some extra time. It's okay to delay it.
1: Um, Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, the basic reason we're not delaying it is because of financial concerns, you know. As you said before, everybody's volunteers. Everybody's working without salary. And there are a lot of associated. I probably spent 50K um, USD from my own pocket. We just can't, you know, work forever without financial resources. And also because we had set that date, I know people in the Bitcoin community is quite connected and moves quite quickly, but outside of the Bitcoin community, that's not really the case. And so the information on why the crowd sale is postponed, you know, will be a lot harder outside of the community to to propagate. That's It the seems thing. like
3: though that the trust of people in the Bitcoin community, especially for a project like this, where you really are asking for a lot of trust, you're asking people to trust you with their personal data with managing things about their lives. That's what government is or governance is. In the long term, it was pretty tight-lipped before the crowd sell started. People didn't really have much time to understand what was actually going on. There was no code. There was no white paper. And so just from my perspective, I look at something like that and say, what's going on with this?
1: Well, I have a slightly different perspective about it, probably because of my own background, don't I mean, I've been speaking about this for about 10 years. I did a TED Talk about it two years ago. I've been working on a book on this exact subject for nearly two years. I know in the Bitcoin community, it's not that widely spread, but in the sort of governance communities, it is, what can I say, like expected idea. From my point of view, actually, the project happened rather late. You know, I would have... Probably wanted to kick it off a year before. But at that time, I didn't understand how much of these problems the blockchain technology could solve. So that's why I didn't kick it off before, actually. I mean, I guess it's just two different perceptions. In terms of like a corporate setup, the company is only three months old. That was quick, you know, between starting to set up the company to doing all the things. But on the other hand, a lot of people have seen a lot of crowd sales and people know quite well how crowd sales goes, right? My sort of personal assessment was that actually three months was quite right with time because the process is so outlined and formalized by now. So everybody pretty much know, you know, you use counterparty, publish a white paper, you set up a website, you know, communicate your idea. I mean, it didn't seem to me as three months was particularly outrageous. We've seen a
3: lot of crowd sales that <laughs> haven't necessarily produced results. Like, I think we've had some bad experiences with crowd sales as a community in the past. But I actually want to ask you a, a different question, if you're, if you're willing. And that is, like, how do you see physical world governments interfacing with BitNation if someone tries to secure land rights in a developing country, South America or, or Africa, for instance, what will the local government have to say about it? Won't, won't they just take the land and not care about what the blockchain says? Like, How does this interface with the real world?
1: I used to work with uh, governance problems, governance issues for the other seven years as a contractor. So I'm quite well familiar with those exact problems in the developing world. The truth is, I mean, this is stuff that every government is trying to figure out how to do all of these things, because what happens is that when when you can't secure certain things like land, which means people can't take credit on, on their land, they can't invest in the land and it creates a lot of conflicts, or if they can't incorporate, that means they can't expand, they don't have economic mobility and all of those things leads to great insecurity. Arguably, one could say that what kicked off the Arab Spring, for instance, was the perceived lack of economic mobility due to administration, due to other things and corruption, et cetera, inside the system. So I've actually been approached by several people, both from the US government and and others who want to look into the system and use it themselves. And So what I tell them is... to
3: use it themselves, like how are they going to be using it? Governments have one tool and that's force why wouldn't they just continue to use the hammer and make everything look like a nail, even if BitNation is offering a voluntary solution?
1: I mean, that's what I'm sort of telling them. I'm like, well, you know, everything we'll do is open code so you can fork it and try to provide people the same thing in a centralized, top-down sort of fashion. I think we'll be very successful as an approach. But my point is that, you know, governments are afraid of unrest. And if someone regardless if it's them or not them, providing an alternative that will give people more uh, economic mobility and be able to settle local disputes that the government is unable to settle. I think most governments should realize the benefits of that, especially since they don't even have to pay for it or implement it themselves.
3: Okay. Yeah. So local disputes is one thing. If everybody agrees to be bound by the system, which is maybe another problem. Are you expecting someone to have a big nation ID and have a government recognize that as like a foreign passport or something like that? I just, it's hard for me to picture them, even if it's such a great system, jumping on board with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, in terms of the ID system, yes. Um, No, I wouldn't call it, I mean, we will call it a passport, but I mean, it's not a passport in the sense of a travel document, right? Um, so it's a passport between blockchains essentially. So the point with ID is that you have, um, both the verification system and you can tie your ID to like all other contracts that you do, like let's say the under history or marriage, or if you're going to start a DAO or DO, whichever acronym you prefer to use. So, you know, it becomes something that you can move around with and use for a lot of purposes. Uh, Isn't I mean-
3: there some potential for abuse and um, compromise in that system, though, because if your ID, if you have a digital ID that's tied to a lot of aspects of your life, such as your marriage, your land ownership, your contracts with other people, business dealings, perhaps, and someone somehow compromises it, that could be a pretty significant problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, civil attacks is definitely something that's being overwhelmingly discussed you know in terms of blockchain based ideas and it's something that the community i think haven't found a perfect solution for and i doubt there will ever be a perfect solution for that i mean there will only be preventive actions uh, right so one of the preventive actions can be to create a barrier of entry essentially making it more expensive create an identity, which will somehow prevent it a little bit. But again, it's not a perfect solution. And I don't know what the perfect solution is. It's going to have to be figured out. I mean,
3: (laughs) there's going to have to be some system in place. Like if there's, if you're talking about paying XBN to create an ID or something like that, but you're targeting it at people in developing countries, where are they going to get that from? (laughs) Like, how are they going to Pay into a system at a level that's going to discourage spammers, but let the people who maybe, quote, need it most.
1: to r an ID is absolutely not a requirement to use the platform if people want to be anonymous. They are very welcome to be anonymous. By the way, you know, that's a problem with the whole blockchain structure that there is not enough anonymity. I definitely encourage people to stay anonymous and XPNX is not to be used as a token on the platform. So you can buy XPNX and that doesn't require an idea by any means. So that is absolutely not a concern. The ID system will take some time to put in place and be made properly, but that is not a roadblock to use the rest of the platform by any means. So I just wanted to clarify those things.
0: And actually, Stephanie, what I wanted to ask you was to further clarify your question a bit more and put a time frame on it, because again, like we're talking with Suzanne when they haven't fundraised, when there's not actually a project. So it's really hard to talk about these specifics unless you're saying, okay, well, in 10 years, what's that going to look like? Because I mean, obviously African rollouts and stuff like that might take a while.
3: Sure, I can clarify that. Before I would ever consider endorsing a project like this or funding a project like this, I would want to know a lot more detail about what the security features are going to be, what the accountability features are going to be, what the actual plan is, what the code is actually going to do, and how it's going to work. And I still have a lot of questions, including about the ID system, but really they extend throughout the whole thing.
1: Uh, We do have the white paper and the dev plan that is uh, on Google Docs and open for everybody to comment on. You know, it's it's not perfect, but it's a of opportunity. We have our Skype chats uh, with a lot of community members in them where everything can be discussed freely, et cetera, and just like counterparty or varium, et cetera. So, I mean, is we the, do have, have a lot of insight and openness. And is the biz plan available, Suzanne? Because I don't not, see it. No, not yet because of all this craziness particularly with them pulling out the sales model in the last moment. We haven't had time to finalize it. It wouldn't take very long to finalize, but it's just been so overwhelming with the sales model rebuild and the counterwall issues and, and all of that. So, But the term uh, sheet
4: is still available as well, right? Yes, that's available. In the term sheet, you refer to board meetings. And
1: I was hoping that you might be able to tell us who's on the board of BitNation. I want to take the time to find really good people and do really thorough due diligence on them because that have been one of the problems in the past that I did not do enough due diligence on people who proved to be not very good. That's something that's going to be built over time, but I want to take the time to build it properly and not rush through with setting up a board of people who are not really committed to the vision or not really committed to the project and so forth, so I don't run into the same problems again as I had with some others.
0: This episode is brought to you by CryptoKid.com, the easiest, fastest way to spend bitcoins right from your browser. Today's magic word is multi. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I. You've got until the 1st of November to visit Let's Talk or the Let's Talk Bitcoin iPhone app and enter it for your share of the listener rewards. Back to the show.
4: So I have another question for you, if you don't mind. Uh, I I noticed, uh, I can't remember if it was the white paper or one of the other papers, um, that you said that uh, BitNation has been incorporated on the blockchain. And I'm hoping that you can explain what that means as far as uh, BitNation goes, because uh, in a legal sense, there is no such thing as incorporation on the blockchain. So I'm hoping you could explain kind of what that means.
1: Well, essentially what we mean with incorporation, which is also one of the services we offer, is that so through the counterparty system, create a token and each of those tokens then becomes a part of the equity, right? Which means that it's paying dividends. So the way we have structured it is that we project that we're gonna start holding a profit after about two years and then be able to pay about ten percent dividends because we need to keep a lot of money inside of the project to continue with the development and research and all of that. 10% is about the sort of standard on the stock market, so I think that's pretty fair. The business model consists of a couple of separate strands for making profit. I think the most profitable part of BitNation will be to charge a small fee on the dApp library, so essentially third-party developers can upload DAPs for their own DIY governance applications. And they can choose to give it away or they can choose to sell it. We'll charge a very small fee on that. If you look at the Apple App Store, they charge 50% and we'll try to not charge more than 2 or 3% to keep it very accessible for everybody involved. So that is one strand, which is sort of an automatic minimal charge. Then we can charge for various smart contracts, which would have a separate benefit of preventing civil attacks as well, if there is an entry cost to using the smart contracts. But I also find that, I mean, the ethical thing is a little bit hard to balance because we also want to make it accessible for a large number of people who do not have a lot of money, right? I'm not entirely sure how much or what smart contracts we're going to charge for yet, but there will probably be a bit of charge for some of those applications. Another strand is what I like to call spin-off products. Uh, so one of those things are actual printed physical ID. Like, for instance, in countries like Estonia or Afghanistan, this is actually the case already in Estonia, people don't trust government ideas because, again, you know, corruption and efficiency is a trend trust corporate IDs. Again, it's nothing that can be used as a travel document to cross borders. But it can be used as an ID for everything in-country, including when dealing with the government. For instance, in the case of Estonia, that's already the case. There is a private company providing printed IDs, which is the commonly accepted ID form. That is another product that we are offering as well. It's, so, I mean, there are about 16 different strands. I can, I'm happy to share the financial projections with you, if you like it, and you can have a look at it and poke around are you planning to make those public? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And how or soon? I? Uh, well, I mean, I actually sent out a couple of drafts already, which uh, I put on our Skype channel wh- where there are uh, well more than 100 people. And I also put it out on Facebook. Yeah. Previous, former, earlier drafts have already been circulating and uh, been commented on by the community. But I will put out the final draft, hopefully well, I mean, right now, what ex president before everything is to sort out the counter wallet issues. So uh, as soon as that is sorted out, I don't know how many hours that's going to take. But yeah, as soon as that is done, my number one priority will be to get the business plan out with all the financials.
4: I love the idea of having, you know, contracts and smart contracts, and I spend a lot of time. Exploring how we can make smart contracts work in the real world, and so that's why I'm really, really interested in Bitnation, and all of the claims are are just fantastical. So I'm wondering. I'm looking at the crowd sale terms, and I see a clause here that says XBNX uh, don't translate into having any type of legal or other responsibility uh, for the DO or any of its activities, and that clause sounds great, but in reality, it seems to me that if these are holders of equity, that they would have legal and possibly other responsibilities, particularly if they're in the U.S. You know, equity holders in companies that aren't officially incorporated buying through the state, do not enjoy limited liability protection. And what that means is that if someone were to just XBNx, um, who was in the US, they would essentially become a general partner and put all of their personal assets at risk. And so I'm wondering how this clause protects people, or or if you think that it does, or how this legal responsibility plays out for holders of XBNX and BitNation.
1: Well, so from my understanding, from the legal advice I've had from people who used to work both FinCEN and the SEC, the security exchange. From what I understand, if people are not officers in the company and there are no voting rights, I mean, uh, the officer thing being the most important, right, there is actually no legal liability at all. I mean, yeah, that's I, I, for
4: companies just, that actually are corporations. What you've created is not a legal entity that's recognized by the state. So that would be true if you had incorporated, for example, in California or in Delaware that would absolutely be true. But I, I believe that you said earlier that you hadn't done that. Please correct me if I'm wrong. And so if you haven't availed yourself of the state protection, I don't think that, that those, those rules apply.
1: Well, in terms of state protection, I mean, people tend to protection. What an incorporation does essentially is that you can claim bankruptcy. I mean, if you do a criminal thing, you still go to jail, nothing will protect you. It doesn't matter if you have a company incorporated or not. Mm. I don't think we're do talking magic. about jail, people, people go to jail, you know. So I, I think people have a misconception of what it means to be incorporated in a government jurisdiction. It really doesn't do that much difference.
4: I don't think any of us yeah. are talking about criminal liability, right? I, I think what we're talking about is civil liability and, and money and whether or not, so that so that people can make an educated decision about whether or not they're going to invest in XBNX, I think it's important that they recognize that they won't be getting those same protections that they would be if they were investing in a company that had incorporated in some jurisdiction in the world.
1: Yeah. I mean, that can also be a point of liability, you know, if you're incorporated somewhere in the world, because that is just a simple point of attack. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's been the case with Bitcoin, Bitcoin emerged as a technology that didn't ask for permissions. And then when it became widely used by people, governments had to get their head around it and create a legal framework around it. And I think crypto equity is, is facing much of the same thing. I mean, crypto equity as a concept, even though it's been around in the crypto sphere for a long time as a concept, is now still very far from being a part of the general public's understanding, right? The,
4: absolutely but i think when you ask people to give you money particularly people who aren't related to you who aren't friends and family you're asking them to trust you with those funds and i think that without some sort of some sort of justification for why people should trust you many people look to the state and those are the reasons why the state has rules about okay you have to have certain corporate governance in place you have to have a board of directors you have to have uh, someone to to be held responsible right and so as you said earlier, you know, there are companies who we want their board of directors to be held responsible because they're taking individuals' money and they're using it to their own ends. And so my question to go back to, you know, the board of directors, it seems that you don't have a board of directors. It seems that you aren't willing or able to discuss who the directors or or the management team within BitNation is and we don't have a, a a business plan from you so i'm wondering how we can continue with this crowd sale and what would you say to people when they were asking okay who's behind this should we be trusting just you suzanne is that what you're suggesting
1: well i mean the community of developing that nation you know trying tunnel chats um through, through the chat groups if you look at the previous documents that have been published, from everything from uh initial dev proposals, et cetera, it's been commented on by very high-level people in the community. And uh, have you incorporated those comments? Since it's still in you know, in terms of a beta version, the code is still we haven't released any code yet. Mm. So it's too early. But yes, of course, I would incorporate all of those comments. Mm. That's a given. But one thing at a time, you know, first we're starting with the crowd sale and as the website indicates that our development benchmarks which includes getting the code ready so when we come to that stage after the initial road bumps with counterpart etc are dealt with then we will move forward to that and yes of course everything will be incorporated and public i mean it already is very public first of all that in terms of the business plan and the financials as i said they will be released very quickly Everybody's working as hard as they can. It's just a lot to deal with right now, especially technical problems that we have to put in priority before everything else. MultiSig again, uh, that's also in the working and that will also be done very quickly. All these problems are being addressed, you know, Uh, when it comes to the board, I don't want, as I said previously, I do not want to rush that because I want people who have worked for the company for a while, you have proven themselves to be trustable all the time. You have a good track record, et cetera, et cetera. So I just don't want to rush the creation of any boardroom.
4: I'm a lawyer, so I'm interested in, in, in the legal aspect. So forgive me for continuing to ask this. But I see in paragraph eight, it says that this agreement is covered by British common law, and any dispute that arises will be resolved through BitNation's dispute resolution platform. And my question to you is that I don't see uh, the BitNation's dispute resolution platform in existence, I don't really see in the white paper um, any clear direction on when or how that's actually going to be created. So I'm wondering if you have a timeframe on when that's going to be created and what you would expect people to do in the meantime.
1: Yeah, so essentially the most functioning code out, out there right now is BitRated, which is a platform that exists I think it's, the address is bitrated.org or bitrated.com, if I'm not mistaken. It's a code. You can see it on our GitHub. We have the code from bitrated there. We're going to use that as the basic code. So essentially, the way they have structured it is that anyone can um, register an arbitrator, which we think are great. But we also want to include another functions that everybody can upload their own code of law, right? which will not be in a smart contract basis because before the law is codified, that will take a long time, right? But it will be a, a code of law that you can still timestamp on the blockchain. So it will serve uh, some protection and some reference. I can't answer right now the exact time frame when that will be up, but essentially the code is there and it's not the extra features we want out to. It, it's not hugely challenging. So definitely before the end of the crowd sale.
3: I guess my last question is a meta question. Suzanne, I've heard you say in other interviews that you consider yourself a voluntarist or a voluntarist, which is basically another word for anarchist. And not, I'm not using that as a pejorative at all. I would identify that way myself. But an anarchist or a voluntarist is someone who wants no rulers, someone who wants to govern themselves, who wants to be free from External restrictions and rules and things that are imposed on them in a non-voluntary way. And I guess I'm trying to wrap my head around the branding of BitNation. It uses sort of this language of the state, nation, citizen, ambassador, passport. And in fact, the logo is a chain. <laughs> and I know that's a reference to the blockchain, but a chain, it's, it chains you down. So how do you square this whole project and the idea of providing governance services when you also sort of have this identification that you, you don't want governance, you know, you don't, you don't want to be subject to extra governance and you'd rather govern yourself. Tell me more about that.
1: Well, so first of all, I mean, what we say it's a collaborative platform for DIY governance, do it yourself governance. And I mean, when it comes to actual governance, I don't think some, some governance tools are hugely needed in the society. Like, uh, you know, things I mentioned, like be able to secure your assets through marriage or land incorporation, etc. So I'm not against governance. I am against monopolies and violence, geographical monopolies and violence, right? And I think we have to make big distinction between the two of them because that's two entirely different things. I mean, when I call myself a voluntarist, what, what I mean by that is that I don't mind if people want to have like an entirely capitalist governance, uh, you know, economic model or communist one, or if they want to have lots of governance or no governance at all. I think that's that's uh, something that should be entirely up to the individual to decide. Essentially, I'm just providing the tool for people to be able to choose for themselves. You know, in my ideal world, in the future, what I would like to see is that there are a million of competing governments and if people are not happy with those governments they can create their own or they can choose to opt out altogether of all governance, or they can choose to be to, to take services from several different governments all that should be completely modular and flexible I mean I want it to be as easy as for people to join let's say LinkedIn or Facebook or you know, a social media platform. It shouldn't be different than choosing your governance service providers. So
3: So why would someone who is skeptical of government in general, like perhaps someone from an African country where they've grown up not being ever able to trust the government in their life and just knowing that they are rotten to the core and corrupt, or even someone from some place like the U.S. who's really open to the ideas that there's government corruption here too and in all systems of government governance, there, is, there are abuses of power. Anytime there's power, there are abuses of power and vulnerabilities and, and hacks and security problems. If you were going to sell BitNation to somebody who is very skeptical of government, what would you say? Why would, they, why would they opt in if they're very skeptical of government?
1: Well, I think there are two questions baked into wonder. First of all, in terms of like wanting governance or not wanting governance, I do think most People want governance services, although they're very skeptical of their current governance. I did polling about these issues and the perception of governance in various places from Afghanistan to Libya and Egypt, etc. And even though people wanted to overthrow the current government and they hated it with a passion, they were screaming for more governance, not less. So I think that's a misperception about how people feel in the developing world, because for most of the statistics I have seen, that's just not true, right? When it comes to people who don't want to be governed to, you know, fellow anarchists and libertarians, people say that they don't want to be governed. They still want to, to let's say, if you get married, you want a way to separate.
3: <laughs> no, so, no, I don't, I don't want to get married. <laughs> we <laughs> talked about this on the last bit, Nation. I mean, some people don't want any kind of state or overarching authority involved in their relationship. There are people out there who don't, who really genuinely don't want these services or they're cherry picking them, the ones they do want, like maybe education through online courses or existing channels. So, I mean, again, why would a person like that opt in?
1: Well, I mean, they are not the target audience, obviously. I mean, I still think they should support the project for ideological reasons. What we are trying to show the world is that you don't need government to do governance, you know, that even people who strive for governance, and that should be okay, if people want governance, they should have governance, right? That, then it can be done privately, and the blockchain, amongst other things, serve as a security in that regard, as a sort of final arbitrator, if you like. Yeah, I mean, it's just like Bitcoin in a way, right? You may not want a financial system, but replacing the financial system with a smarter and cheaper and more egalitarian system is better because it shows to people around the world that there is an option to like, federally manipulated money, right? It doesn't have to be like that. It can all be voluntary and without geographical monopolies and violence nation-state. I think regardless if people want governance or don't want any governance, they should support everything that moves it towards a voluntary direction.
0: I think that there's an assumption that even though BitNation is something that is forkable, that your vision or the vision of the project is that there will be one main bit nation and that if people don't like it well they can fork something and do something small but i actually don't really think that's how the open source ecosystem is going to wind up working in this particular circumstance and i, I have it in my head that that there are going to be a whole like thousands or you know hundreds of thousands of bit nations out there that are all these kind of niche things and there'll be lots of big ones so i'm kind of curious what you think you know assume that all of this short term stuff we're past it that you've successfully done all the stuff that you want to do, what does the world actually look like?
1: Well, that is my vision for the world. I mean, there are 7 billion people on Earth, you know. Um, And I think there should be, I don't know how many, yeah, as you say, hundreds of thousands of different governance alternatives. I see government providers the same way I see any other provider, you know, whether it's restaurants or clothes or cars or whatever. You know, it should be as much choice as people want it to be and I think there is plenty of room for very many different types of governance and styles of governance someone maybe want to make the nation fork that is for communism and some may want someone that's specifically adapted to sharia and that should all be cool you know as long as it's voluntary choice right if you watch my TED talk which I did two years ago That's exactly what I talked about, that everybody should be able to create their own governments and there should be hundreds of thousands of different governments competing in the world.
0: So really what it seems like then is that you are, with this project, attempting to break the monopoly of government. I heard you earlier describe the uh, governments as having a monopoly of violence, essentially. And it seems to me that that's the one main thing, regardless if it's monopoly of violence or whatever, there is no monopoly in this particular circumstance. Could I be a member of two different bit nations? I mean would there would that work simultaneously within such a system?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean you can be a member of ten depending on their own rules, right, or maybe some will require exclusivity. Bit nations certainly don't I mean yeah, you can be a member of as many or as few as you want or none at all of course, I mean that's the point of the system right that it's entirely voluntary. I see it the same way as social networks I'm Currently on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, I'm on Twitter, although not very actively so. So people in the same fashion should be able to be on as many social networks they want or as few as they want. If a BitNation comes out, a BitNation 4 comes out that tries to enforce exclusivity of their platform, I don't think they will be very popular in the market for a long time.
0: Well, but potentially it might be. And if it was people could just join that one and one of the exclusions on it would be that it, you're only allowed to be a member of this bit nation if you're not a member of the other ones, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, people can set whatever rules they want. So, right. I
0: mean, the voluntary uh, thing, I guess that's what I'm kind of trying to get back to here. I think that there's a difference between voluntarism and anarchism. I think anarchism speaks to whether or not we have rules that govern us, that govern our actions. And I think that voluntarism speaks to whether or not we get the choice of whether to do a given thing. So, if you don't like what you know, you're know, you particularly doing with this, Suzanne, already someone could fork it and try their own, you know, take their own slight spin, at although obviously it's much better if that waits until the project has a little bit more of a code base.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the purpose. This has been my vision for a decade. I and mean, it's something I've been talking and writing a lot about on several different media, so that's what I want to see. I want to see a world full of voluntary governments, hundreds of thousands of them.
0: Thanks for listening to episode 157 of Let's Talk Bitcoin. Content for today's episode was provided by Suzanne Tempelhoff, Stephanie Murphy, Andreas M. Antonopoulos, and Adam B. Levine. Music for today's show was provided by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. This episode was edited by Denise Levine and Adam B. Levine. See you next time.